Would you welcome Melissa Osman as she comes to read the scripture? Morning, everyone. (laughs) Okay, this is from Mark. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the seed produces, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the words to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. I forgot to do this in the first service, but Melissa and Dan, her husband, and Naomi and uh, David, you were on drums too. They're all in a small group, and they would love to have you join them. So feel free to do that. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that it does bring life to us. Lord, I pray that you'd help each one of us by your spirit coming now and uh, bringing to mind the memories, the thoughts, the feelings, the things that you want to bring up in our life today that, that what we talk about would be more than just words. It would be life to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the mid-20th century, there was an author named Flannery O'Connor who wrote novels and short stories. And she was being interviewed one time by a, a journalist about a story she had written. And the journalist asked her this question. The journalist said, could you sum up your story in one sentence? And she gave a, re- a reply that I just absolutely love. She said, if I could sum it up in one sentence, I wouldn't have written a story. Sometimes I love sarcasm. Today we look at some of the foundational metaphors, the foundational stories that Jesus uses to describe what life in the kingdom of God is all about, what life following him is all about, and how we live it, what the important things are. And these stories are really interesting because they're actually repeated by Jesus in many different situations, in different contexts, actually with different applications at times in different settings that he uses them. And there's there's some who have decided to try to argue that because these stories are used in different contexts with different applications that it just shows that the stories are made up by the writers and they're actually not eyewitness accounts. But that kind of an argument actually is more of the simpleton type of a question of the journalist to Miss O'Connor. Because great metaphors in life and great issues of life are too hard to describe in one word, in one definition. How do you describe your marriage in one short statement? How do you describe the purpose of your life in one short statement? It just doesn't do it justice. And the richness of the metaphors that we get to see today that are foundational for what it means to live life following Jesus are amazing. I mean, for example, the the metaphor of the lamp 
that we'd read in the scripture. It's used here in Mark 4. Jesus also uses it in Matthew 5 and Luke 8 and Luke 11. The mustard seed, Jesus uses it here in this passage. And then in Matthew 13, he uses it in a different context with the disciples when he's talking to them about their inability to deliver a demon-possessed man. And then in Luke 17, he uses it again in the context of forgiveness. And he just uses it with different applications. And what we discover today and what we get to look at today is that we're looking at the guiding metaphors, the guiding principles of what it means to follow Jesus and specifically what it means to be in the kingdom of God. Now, as we've been looking at this series, we started off seeing the kingdom of God mentioned first in chapter 1 of Mark. Chapter 1 of Mark, it says that the kingdom of God has come near. Jesus makes that statement himself. It's here, it's present, it's breaking into reality in a new way is what he's telling us. In chapters 2 and 3, we don't see so much of the mention of the kingdom of God, but we get to see a picture of who the king of this kingdom is. The the chapters 2 and 3 describe who he is. In chapter 4, it's really the first time we get to see Jesus describing what life is like as followers, as people of the kingdom of God. An understanding that the seed is already sown. The seed is already growing. It's already alive. And for us today, that seed is also alive. Now, let's back up just a second. The kingdom of God. What does that mean? What is it? I mean, if we don't understand that, we don't understand Jesus at all because his entire life is about introducing the kingdom of God, breaking into our reality. In fact, we don't really even understand history or the whole Bible if we don't understand the kingdom of God because the divine history is centered in this concept, the idea that we were created in his image, under the image, under the ruler of a king, the king of all kings, the creator of all that is. And the problem in Genesis we see is that we chose to be our own kings. We chose to be the ones who could judge what was right and wrong. We chose to be the ones who could choose to obey or not to obey. We wanted control of our life and of our way. And basically the story is that when we chose to be our own kings, Instead of serving under the king of the kingdom, life begins to unravel. Relationships begin to unravel. Marriage unravels. The earth itself all across the way unravels. And when we start to look at Jesus reintroducing this idea of the kingdom, it's not just about saving us from hell. It's not just about saving us from sin. It's just not about making our lives better, although that is the major theme since we're created in his image. If we look at the whole of biblical teaching, it talks about one day a new heaven and a new earth coming, a fully restored creation, all aspects of it being changed, all of society, everything, all of the relationships, the earth, the care for the earth, everything being changed. The life of the kingdom is meant to redeem us and to redeem all of life around us. And that is what we get to partake in as followers of Jesus. And as part of following Jesus, our mission needs to be the same as his. Last week, we looked at this provocative statement. And I'll just remind you of it because it leads into this week. Because the last week's message was on the parable of the sower. And, and this week is actually just a continuation of Jesus' teaching. It's not a separate teaching. So let's, let's connect the pieces here. Last week, we looked at this provocative statement that Jesus made that really ticks some of us off, that we think is really harsh. 
where Jesus says he teaches in parables because that way, and he quotes Isaiah, the people will be ever seeing but not perceiving, ever hearing but not understanding. Otherwise, they might repent and be forgiven. And we look at that statement and we go, man, that sounds harsh. Is God trying to hide something? What's the deal? And we explain that in the context of this. The context was that the people were coming to Jesus with all sorts of mixed motives. There were some people who really wanted to know him and follow him. But there were others who just wanted him to go away. They were anti him from the very beginning. There were some who kind of liked him, but they just wanted him to be less provocative. They were coming to him with mixed motives. And there were, frankly, a lot of people who were coming to him just saying, Hey, Jesus, your teaching's great, but could you get back to the healing part? I want my healing. I want the blessing. I want it for me. And very few people were actually coming to Jesus for who he really is. And so the idea of Jesus speaking in parables isn't, the parables were a filter for those who were really seekers because the real seekers would ask questions. They would seek and they would find. This week, the text continues and reinforces that same thing by starting off with this metaphor that basically shows us how absolutely absurd it is for us to think that Jesus doesn't want to be found. He doesn't want to be understood. He says, you know, do you light a lamp and then put it under a bushel? And Jesus is saying, I'm in the metaphor, Jesus is the light. He's saying, do you think I don't want to be found? No, he's saying, I want you to find me. I want you to experience the depth of forgiveness and freedom and wholeness that you long for, that I long to give you. I want your life, referring again back to last week's story, to have the impact of this 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold return that's just amazing and abundant and wonderful. Jesus is saying, I want you to find me. And yet Jesus goes on in this, in this uh, metaphor, and it's, the metaphors are so beautiful. They're so multifaceted. It's, it's amazing to see the power of a metaphor in Jesus' hand. Now, uh, this is kind of a, a bad example, but, it, but because we use it a lot, I'll, I'll say it because I don't think this measures up in any way. But it's, it's like we talk about friends with faith here. We talk about friends with faith, and it has lots of different meanings. It has a meaning for how you relate to one another here. It has a meaning for how we do church and why we do church. And it even has a meaning for how we think about approaching people who don't believe and the process of helping them come to belief. So there's many different aspects of what we can talk about from friends with faith. And Jesus is doing the same thing here. He's got this, this metaphor that, that just can go different ways and be applied different ways. In verse 22, he goes on and says this. He says, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. And whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. And he says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And there's this kind of Double meaning again going on in here. First, I think Jesus is trying to reinforce the meaning of the parables that, that it's apparent that, it, that he wants things to be clear to us. He wants us to, he wants us to know things. So even hidden things will come out. He wants us to know those hidden. He doesn't want them to stay hidden. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to trick us and make it hard to find him. But, but he's also actually tying back into the last parable that he told. And, and drawing on the richness of the meaning, because this is really one sermon we're dealing, of Jesus we're dealing with over a couple of weeks here. And he's basically tying back into that saying how easy it is for us when we've got these 
stones, these rocks, these hard places, these wounded places, these, these places of unforgiveness and pain in our life, these places of shame that we don't want other people to see, these rocks in our life, how easy it is for us to allow those to just stay under the surface and throw a veneer of dirt over the top of them so nobody sees them. And then we want to plant and we want life, but the parable last week says you do that and and it eventually dries up. It just doesn't work. It never, never comes to fruition. And, and it's tying back even in, in, the, in the weeds and the par- in the weeds, the whole, the whole idea that there's these competing concerns. It's easy for us to deny and hide and, because you, you throw a seed to the ground and you don't see it anymore. It's just part of the landscape and you can deny it. You cannot look at it. And yet, what Jesus is saying is, what's hidden won't stay hidden. It's pure foolishness for us to think that we can live life with those things in our life hidden because what is hidden will be revealed. So, so he's basically posing us the question, why, why hide those things? Why hide those points of woundedness, those points of hardness? Why, why hide and pretend and avoid dealing with the, the competing concerns in our life that constantly choke out doing what we believe God wants us to do and, and they're the right things? Why hide that stuff? Why not bring them to God? And seek forgiveness and let him deal with them and deal with them even openly. It, it kind of goes back to my rock picking story last week, you know, picking rock on the farm, going through. I mean, those rocks eventually are going to be found. It doesn't matter if they're below the surface. It doesn't matter how small or how big they are. It doesn't matter if they're so huge that you have to use a stick of dynamite to get them out. Eventually, they're going to be found. And so Jesus is giving us both this, this sweet invitation And yet a sobering reminder, in a sense, it's almost this carrot and a stick that he's saying to us, even if it's delayed until death, even if it's, even if the rocks won't be revealed until he comes back or, or we go to him in death, at the final judgment, there's no hiding. The stuff in our life that we hide is going to be revealed. We can either choose to be open and honest and repent of it and receive forgiveness and allow them to be removed and and no longer be issues in our lives now or they will eventually come to life. In one sense, he's almost saying to us that you could choose right now to bring this into the open in your small group or with your friends or your accountability group and let them lead you to the place of healing and dealing with it and be rid of it once for all or to use Jesus' own words, one day it will be shouted from the rooftops for the whole community to hear. And see, because what is hidden will be revealed. Verse 24, Jesus says, consider carefully what you hear. And, and I think he's doing two things here as well. He's reinforcing what we talked about before that even uh, consider carefully. We talked about how easy it is to pick a seed. This is a jar full of mustard seeds and that's what you picked up as well. How easy it is when you've seen one of these to, seen, to have seen them all. How easy it is to, to come to church or come to your devotional time or come to life and say, yeah, I've heard that before. I've heard that message before. We've gone over that ten times and just to treat it as commonly as something that we would think is dead, and yet Jesus' whole thing in this parable is that there's life in this. Are we going to come and allow him to go deeper and deeper in our life each time, to plant it deeper, to have a more fruitful return each time we allow him to take this same thing, this ordinary thing, and do it again in our life? Or are we not going to consider it carefully? Are we not going to be careful about what we hear? But he's also saying, listen carefully to what I say next, because it's very important. And what he says next is this. He says, with the measure you use, 
It will be measured to you. And even more. And I love that even more. God doesn't come to us with this tit-for-tat religion where you do this and I'll do that and we'll do it in equal measure. The, the level of your commitment will be the level of my commitment to you. No, God comes to us and says, you just give me a little bit and I'll give you more. I'll give you even more. He's just this gracious, generous, amazing, loving God. And then he goes further and he says something again really provocative. And he says this. He says, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him. Really? That kind of sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? I mean, what do you mean, Jesus? Am I, are, are you going to give more to the wealthy and take away from the poor? Are you going to, what do you mean? Are you going to, are you going to take those who aren't generous and snuff out all hope they have? What are you going to do? And in order to understand it, I think we need to understand something about the first metaphor of today. The term used for a bushel, a basket to go over the light, is actually a term in that day uh, to refer to an official measuring unit. It's It's a basket officially used for measuring. And Jesus is actually tying these two metaphors together. And he's basically saying, whatever measure of light you allow to shine will causally be related to the measure of light you receive. In other words, to the degree you allow the light of God into your life to shine on all areas of your life, that will be the degree to which he gives you light. And second, not just there, but taking it further based upon what Jesus uses the same, the same uh, phrase for, the same metaphor elsewhere, to the degree that you allow the light and life he gives you to shine so that other people see it will be the measure to how much light he gives into your life. Because the intent of the kingdom as we've seen it so far in these, these very few short parables of Jesus describing it, is that, is that there'll be a, this multiplication of seed, and this multiplication of seed will be so abundant, it'll, beyond, it'll be beyond anything you can contain or consume yourself. It's meant to be shared. And the seed of the kingdom, the primary goal of the kingdom, is to do the purpose and mission of what Jesus, the king of the kingdom, came to do. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago where Jesus said, my mission is to what? To seek and save the lost. You see, the point of the various soil types in last week's parable is simply this, that Jesus doesn't want your seed to just lie there on the ground and not grow. He doesn't want the seed to just begin to grow and provide a little bit of greenery but never come to full fruition. He wants your life to be rich and full. He wants full fruition in your life to be fully fruitful, to to achieve the result intended in the creation of that organism, to be fully satisfied, fully mature. So when Jesus says the measure you use will be the measure you get, he's referring to how open are you to the light? Not just receiving it, but giving it away. We could look at it this way. Go ahead and let let it go dark if you don't mind. Um, we could look at it this way. So Jesus gives you some light, and hopefully this lighter will work, because it didn't work first service. Hey, I love it when a plan comes together. 
we had we had a good laugh the first service because the plan didn't come. Through. So you receive a little bit of light. You let other people see it. You give it away, and you receive more. And the light continues to grow. And we have a choice. It's not working that good though. There we go. Maybe if the lights were on, I could light it better. You think? We have a choice. We can either let the light shine fully, or we can kind of cover it up. But I'm going to put it over here because you'll see it better. We can kind of cover it up a little bit, or we can cover it up fully. And what's going to happen? The measure we give, the measure we let the light shine, will be the measure of light we have. This light, if it hasn't already, is going to gradually dim. And because there's a leak, it may stay open, and this is a, it didn't work the first service. Hey, it worked. Go ahead and bring the lights back up. You see, Jesus is not being harsh when he says the measure you give, the measure you, um, to those who have more, more will be given. To those who have, do not have, even what they have will be taken away. He's not being harsh. He's just talking about a reality of life. If you don't give away the light, if you cover the light, it goes out. It's not him doing it. It's us. He's just warning us of a reality and the consequences of life. And it's so easy for us to want the light for ourselves. It's so easy for us to not give it away. It's so easy for us to go through life in our faith and struggle. Because we believe in light. We believe it should be there. The Bible says there should be life. There should be light. And yet so often, because we don't give it away, because we don't share it, we're like the lady I saw at 5.30 in the morning outside of St. Anne's when we went in a couple weeks ago, out there in her wheelchair in the cold, begging for a light. She's on a cigarette break. And we go through life begging in our prayer life, for God to show up, for God to light us. And in His graciousness, He does. And yet when we don't give it away, the light keeps going out. And we end up finding ourselves living in this religious life where we're just trying harder, we're working harder, we're hoping for something more, but it's not there and we don't understand why the life isn't there like we want it. And we live life empty. Light seed and with the measure you use it will be measured to you these are central metaphors of jesus and the kingdom how does it apply to us well it applies in many different ways jesus you know think about the knowledge of jesus you have and the experience of jesus you have in your life how do you grow best don't you grow best by giving it away I mean, if you study learning theory, even from that standpoint, people learn the best and know it the best by the time they've actually taught it. That's the reason they actually have our kids in school once in a while try to teach the lesson that they've learned because they learn it best when they teach it. So you learn it best a lot of times by giving it away. So if you're a small group leader, if you're a person who's leading an adult small group or a youth small group or you're leading one of the children's classes, who learns the most? You do. Who gets the most light? You do. Who gets the most life? You do. Because we grow by giving it away. Who gets the most light? 
Is it the person who is it the person who seeks justice or the person who forgives the most? Even the person who forgives the most has a more blessed life, and even the person who forgives the most experiences more justice in their life than the person who doesn't, because what we give away is what we receive. And giving to get doesn't work. If you do this just so you can get, it doesn't work. Because you're not really giving at all then. You're just still operating out of, out of a selfish motive. And Jesus is always more about the heart. You see, we could summarize Jesus' teaching as metaphors of the kingdom in this way, about the way we live. We could say the way up is to go down. The way to influence and receive power is to serve. The way to get rich is to give it all away because if we don't ever learn to give, the money will crucify us and we will never get happiness. We will never get the joy we want in life if we don't learn to be generous. The way to be happy is not to try to be happy, but to serve others and bring joy to their life. The way to great accomplishment in the life of the kingdom is through great humility. The way to reign and rule and gain influence and power is to submit fully to God first. And maybe even most profoundly powerful of all, the way to be free, the way to be free, Bible teaches us, Jesus teaches us, is to become a slave to God. You see, we can aim at complete surrender to God and you get both God and joy, but if you aim at joy, you get neither. And givers have more to give and graspers eventually have less and less and less to hang on to. And Jesus returns then now to the metaphor of the seed, saying, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A a man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps and gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle in because the harvest has come. It grows by itself. It grows without us. God makes it grow. His timing is perfect. The full kernel in the head emerges when it's ready. And I find this whole section of Scripture not just interesting because of the weighty metaphors, but I find it even more interesting because of the profound way in which it demonstrates the very character of God and how Jesus is communicating. Jesus starts out almost with this sense of sarcasm, confronting us about our overly simplistic conclusions about, oh, he mustn't want to be found. And then, and then he, he powerfully uses this powerful metaphor to invite us and say, no, I so desperately want you to find me. And he challenges us again with the statement, the measure you use will be the measure you get. And if you don't use a generous measure, even what you have will be snuffed out. And he confronts us. And then, and then he invites us not to perform, not to strive to do that, Because he says he's the one who plants. He's the one who makes life to grow. He's the one who brings it to full fruition. So don't even think you can work into that. Challenge and reality followed by showing us his good intent for us. His pattern of teaching is confronting us and then, and then winsomely wooing us by his kindness and his goodness. What an amazing, amazing God we serve. Night and day, it says, whether, we, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. Even in our weakness, our inadequacy, our inability to understand God or understand life, we can trust him 
to grow good things in our life. How amazing and wonderful is God. And Jesus moves on then to the parable of this tiny little mustard seed. It's amazingly tiny, isn't it? I mean, I can barely see it because my fat fingers cover it all up when I hold it in my hands. But when it's planted, it becomes the largest of all garden plants. Did you get your mustard seed? You got one? Feel it? See how it fits? Tiny, isn't it? Seemingly insignificant. And so often when we approach these statements about faith, we take the statements about mustard seed and we go, oh, Jesus is telling me I don't even have that much faith. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, look how tiny this is, how small this is, how insignificant it is. It doesn't take much. I'm not asking you for much. It doesn't take a lot of faith for me to do something that's God-sized in your life. It doesn't take a lot for me to do a kingdom venture through your life to demonstrate kingdom power. It doesn't take much. I'm not asking you for much. Through this metaphor that he's using and the teaching he's doing, he's, he's just simply saying this. He's, he's simply saying, I just need you to pay attention, to be careful, to pay attention, to not forget the power of God in simple, small, ordinary, everyday things like tiny seeds, like moments of sharing a glimpse of God, like just little things in your life. I don't want you to forget, he says, to be open and to and always trust me to be open. Just live life open. He says, that's all you have to do. And he said, all you have to do then is just not hoard what I give you. Give it away generously. Let the light shine. Let the seed grow. Let it multiply. Give liberally. Just do those things. It doesn't take much faith. It's not like he's not spanking us saying, I can't believe you don't even have the faith of mustard. He says, no, you've got the faith of mustard seed. Just remember these other things. That's what you're forgetting. Because small things become great when we live life in the way of the kingdom. We live life in the power of Christ and the metaphors that he gives us. Back in the mid-1800s, sitting in a dark, damp cabin at night after her husband and kids were settled down for the evening, a lady, 39-year-old lady, sits by firelight writing a story just hoping that it might possibly get published. But she was writing a story about something everybody else was talking about, not even sure that it would even get heard because there were so many voices. And yet between 1852 and 1853, her story that she wrote by firelight at the end of a tired day sold 300,000 copies and became the major force in liberating millions of slaves. That sounds like a kingdom thing, doesn't it? That sounds like a kingdom plant of redeeming our world, redeeming our culture by liberating slaves, doesn't it? Her name was Harriet Beecher Stowe, and the book is Uncle Tom's Cabin. You know, a couple of years ago, one guy's heart had a seed planted in it of compassion for people around the world who don't have clean water and are dying from disease because of it. And he simply just started to deliver in a very simple, cost-effective way uh, the ability to manufacture clean water in a way that provided jobs for people in the countries that he was reaching. 
tied it to churches and churches are providing jobs for their people and using that ministry to bring not only clean water but to plant churches and bring people to Christ all over the world. And that simple seed birthed just a few years ago is now you know, half a million dollars a year going into providing clean water and seeing people come to Christ. His name is Jim Davis and his organization is Thirst Relief. And if you were one of the men who went on the men's retreat, you got to hear him speak to you because he's a local guy here. You know, a little over 10 years ago, a good friend of mine was struggling, working multiple jobs, trying to plant a church in Flagstaff, Arizona. He was himself a a self-described Reagan Republican, a former Army paratrooper, ranger, uh, and he was working in a culture where everybody was a very liberal Democrat, pacifist, and radical environmentalist. Just absolute opposite from who he was. And because of a dream, because of simple friendship, because of the seeds of the kingdom, people started coming to faith and their, their passion for the earth and their passion for the floor has reaped benefit in bringing many people to Christ in those areas. 56 years ago, there were five men killed, murderously killed. And one of the wives, through a seed of forgiveness, decided to go to the people who had killed their husbands, all of her friends and her husband. And that tribe is now 100% Christian and reaching other people for Christ, sacrificing. December 2009, a conversation that didn't even plan to go this way, just a casual conversation a little seed began to emerge through the ground and, and the result is, quite honestly, the, the children's ministry here going from being a struggling to being a thriving, strong aspect. It's, it's something that has gone to the point where VBS last year, the number one feedback from VBS last year was from the teachers was, I have never been able to be a part of something this amazing. And, and here, when we press further, here's what the teachers were saying. It was amazing because the kids had a grand time. They had a lot of fun. But more than that, the kids, when asked what they liked the most, was not the fun that they had, was the t- but, but they talked about the teaching and they talked about the 22 kids who came to Christ. A simple seed planted for how you do and think about ministry different has gone there. And I hope, I hope as VBS comes this summer that we'll, instead of 90 volunteers, I hope we'll have 150 volunteers because I think we're going to need it. Because God is doing such good stuff there. You know, a simple seed was planted a couple years ago when the middle school ministry did not have anything outside of Sunday mornings. And now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden there's over 30 people being regularly touched and dozens more than that who have been touched, who they're reaching to, trying to reach, trying to gather in. Just a simple, simple seed. Wasn't anything profound. And God just does and takes a simple dream that He plants in the heart. Now, there's been a dream for many of you planted in your hearts that, that we would see these, these grounds here full of young adults and youth just enjoying themselves, building relationship. And part of that seed was a bunch of you have been dreaming about a, a volleyball court and having volleyball leagues for the young adults and for the youth. And that's coming to pass now through people just all of a sudden getting together and donating and putting sweat work in. You'll see a regulation-sized volleyball court fairly soon. The men's, uh, in the men's area, a little over a year ago, there was a couple guys who basically said, I want a place to meet other men because before I came to Christ, I did not have very many men friends. 
and I need men friends in order to grow in my faith. And they just decided they wanted to start playing basketball. And in 18 months, there's been well over 40 different guys from the community come in and start to build a relationship. And some of them have begun to take steps further in their faith just because of the friendship, because of a simple seed. And, and that's just scratching the surface. We've got a new group on the city for people who like cycling, reaching out to people, wanting to go cycling, building friendship. We've got the quest for the Mulligan Cup going on for the second year, guys getting together, playing golf. We've got new people stepping up to lead groups. What's God going to do through those seeds? Who's God going to reach? How's he going to give his life away? More important, more important is even just us being curious and caring in our conversations over coffee. I've heard this many times, but not too long ago, I, again, I heard a story of somebody's life and their faith journey, and one of the major impacts in their faith journey was simply having a client of theirs sit down with them over coffee and tell them a simple story about how God was real in their life. Just simple, curious conversations. You know, what will God do as we learn to not take for granted and despise the small seeds, the simple things, the ordinary things, the small starts to dreams. What will God do as we continue to grow in our passion and our generosity and our, in our, in our giving away of our money and in the giving away of our stories and the life God has touched us with and put us in, in our lives and just sharing those stories? What will God do? Where's, where's God placed a seed of faith? Just a little tiny, barely can see it, seed of faith in your life or little light in your life. Maybe it's just a simple story, not, not your grand testimony story, not this thing that we try to put together. Maybe it's just a simple moment where he was real to you, where he loved you, whether he helped you through a difficult time. Maybe it's just a simple invitation to coffee or to dinner or to watch a ball game. Maybe it's, maybe it's just something simple like affirming somebody else and how their life, their simple seed that they thought was just so ordinary change your life that's going to fan that person's flame and help them touch other people? What is it? How can God let the light and life that he's placed in you bless other people so that you find the full measure of God's joy by giving it away literally, liberally? You see, here's the, here's the amazing thing about Jesus' choice of metaphor here. His choice of the mustard seed in particular the Mishnah, the uh, Jewish writings that regulated the uh, daily activity of Jews during Jesus' day, said that it was illegal to plant the mustard seed unless you did it in a very specific way, in a very contained way, a very careful, careful way. Why? Because the mustard seed is one of those plants that grows rapidly and produces tons of, produces tons of seed and scatters them all over. And if you plant this mustard seed in your garden, it will take your seed, it will take your garden over in the next year or two. It spreads so uncontrollably, so powerful. And you see, Jesus is trying to stir in us this hope, this expectation, this faith, this action for His life for the life of God in us to change our lives and for the life of God in us as we share it, the simple, ordinary, insignificant, tiny little things of our life to transform other people's lives and to take over their lives, to spread uncontrollably. 
He's reminding us that that's the power of His seed, of His kingdom in us. Question, do you see the small stories of God being real in in your life? Just the, the moments, even the simplest, smallest ones, do you see them having that kind of uncontrollable power to spread, to take over, to change people's lives? They do. That's what Jesus is telling us. What is the seed? What's the dream? What's the desire? What's the calling? What's the passion that God has placed in you? What's the light that God has placed in your heart? The moments that he's touched you, the stories of those times he's been real, the stories of the times he's He's comforted you, he's met you, he's provided you, even just the simplest things. What are those stories I want you to just grab your mustard seed, and I don't want, I don't want this just to be words to you. If you've got the mustard seed there, if you dropped it and you can't find it, just imagine it's in your, because if you dropped it, you'll never find it again. Hold that in your hand for a minute while the music plays. And would you just breathe a prayer to God and say, what's the light? What's the light you want me to share? What's the dream? What's the passion? What's the seed you've placed in me? Would you allow him to come and speak to you on that? Go ahead, just start the music, Andrew. I'm going to give you a moment. Lord, thank you for your gracious invitation to us, your kind, your patient invitation to us, your pursuit of us, your desire to be found. Thank you for the light that you've put in our lives. Lord, I want to pray for those here who, uh, even as they've been sitting here thinking, they've questioned whether that light that they're remembering really was you. It's been so long. It's been so long since they shared it. It's been seeming seems so insignificant that they're even questioning, is that really from you, Lord? I pray that you'd breathe on that, that you'd fan the flame back into, into, into view. Lord, the seeds that we planted that haven't grown or maybe they were on hard soil or maybe they're still waiting to shoot through the, the ground for us to even see that they're growing, Lord. I pray that you'd come and you'd breathe life into those. Breathe life into the dreams, into the hopes, into the passions that have seemed long in coming. And Lord, would you make us a city set on a hill? Lord, that together, that you would make the light of each one of us together to be like a city set on a hill that casts its light for all around to see. And would you show us the uncontrollable power of your kingdom? That when we just do the simple things, when we just make the simple invitations, when we share the simple stories, when we, when we take the simple risk of, of praying or talking to someone or inviting someone, that you, Lord, can move uncontrollably, that you're the one who brings life, even when we don't know how, 
We don't see it. We wake up, we go to bed, and, and, and you cause the growth to happen, and you cause the harvest to happen. Lord, show us your kingdom and lead us into being uh, great warriors for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to encourage you, if there's something that you felt like God was speaking to you, uh, grab somebody and talk about it, pray about it. Let them go a little bit deeper. Let them water that a little bit with you just by praying with somebody. If you came here with a need, uh, we'd love to have you come down and pray or grab a friend and pray. God bless. Have a great week. If you uh, are newer here, I'd love to have you join me for lunch in a few minutes over in the hospitality room right next to the main entrance. God bless.